0: Welcome to the Speaking of Influence podcast with virtual business speaker, presentation skills and influence coach, John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. The Speaking of Influence podcast is uploaded and distributed using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it really easy to get your podcast started and out to a wide audience with lots of tips and useful tools to help you on your way. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes and start your podcast today. Welcome to the show. Today, I am very happy to have with me a guest who... I have learned so much from over my years. He is at the top of the heap in the world of Toastmasters, and uh, certainly someone who has a lot of value to share. And I've been very much looking forward to having him on the show. I'm very grateful that he's agreed. He won the Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking in 2001. He has a whole series of online courses and programs, as well as his own podcast show and is an amazing guy to to learn from, I can say from my own experience. Please welcome to the show, Darren LaCroix. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm really, really pleased to be speaking to you, Darren. And uh, just, uh, I I mean, I shared on my show before and and I'll share it here again now. The reason why I first came to even know about you was after having a a bit of a failure (laughs) in a a competition uh, that I thought I was going to win and coming away from it, that sort of analyzing as in, where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently? And um, then something in, Clearly, I don't know as much as I thought I know that maybe there's <laughs> space, maybe there's some space for growth and development here. And somebody recommended I check out your website, which I did and um, realized right away that there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And, and I signed up for your online courses right away. So uh, that's where I first came to, to know about you. And, and I have to say that those those programs have been really, really
1: helpful to me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you're not alone because I was in the same boat in 2001 before I met Mark Brown, who coached me. Uh, I really, my ego was in my way, but I didn't know. And I think that's one, as you know, that's one of my key messages be a sponge. Right. Uh, be a sponge. We're never done learning. And as soon as we think we're good and oh, I should have won that, like, nope, there's another lesson to be learned. And I love, uh, <clears throat> Do you know who Steven Tyler is?
0: The lead singer from the – I'm going to
1: forget the name of the band now. Aerosmith. Aerosmith. I'm a Boston guy, so I grew up in the Boston area. But uh, he was one of the judges. I think it was America's, America's Got Talent or American Idol. Um, I don't remember. Anyway, he was one of the judges, and he was being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. And it was a video I came across, and I was just fascinated. And he said, when I was a judge – I think it was um, uh, American Idol. He said, when I was a judge on American Idol, when I told people you weren't the American Idol and sent them home, basically, he said, I wasn't saying you'll never be the American Idol. He was saying today, you're not the American Idol yet. And he said it broke my heart because he said a lot of the people who he was in front of and or was in front of him – They were so talented. They were more talented than he was when he started, but people would take it so personally and they would just, it would just be a blow and you could see them just giving up completely. He's like, no, you just need to go back to the clubs and learn a few more lessons. And I love the idea because he's talking about like nightclubs playing bands for me in the Toastmaster world. It was like, you need to go back to your club and, and learn a few more lessons. But I think one of the challenges is I love Toastmasters. I'm still a member today. I will be for the rest of my life because not just what it did for my speaking, but what it did for my own self-confidence. But I think one of the challenges, it's designed to help people get become confident. It's not designed to make them world class. And I think that's a mistake that some Toastmasters don't see. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's still awesome. It's amazing to get up and become confident. But I needed that world-class advice from Mark Brown when he held up a mirror when I, I think you might know the story, but if you're listening and don't know, uh, I was so excited uh, in the speech contest. There's six levels, and I had won the fifth level. I was going to world championship when I met Mark Brown. So I had some confidence. I had been a speaker for seven years. I was in four Toastmaster clubs, and I was the king of the club because no one could give me feedback. So that's why my ego... Poof, got big. And I drove two and a half hours to work with my coach, Mark Brown. And at that level, I had to write a brand new speech from scratch. And I really didn't know it was trial and error my whole career, just one keynote speech and little comedy bits. But anyway, I wrote this brand new speech from his advice, but I didn't send it to him ahead of time because I wanted to see the joy on his face when he saw how talented I was. (laughs) And Mark, if you don't know Mark Brown, he stands about six foot two. He's a native of Jamaica. He's got this beautiful, booming laugh, like the guy from the old 7-Up commercial. Ha, 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 ha. Well, that was my coach. I remember standing there in the meeting room in Reader's Digest, New York. I drove from Boston to New York, uh, two and a half hours. And I handed Mark the greatest speech in the history of Toastmasters. And I couldn't (laughs) wait to see his reaction. And when Mark got the speech, he looked at it. oh, Darren, we have some work to do. <laughs> well, I did everything you told me to do. I wrote the greatest speech that I could write from the level and the knowledge that I had. And uh, John, I, I got a very valuable life-changing message in that moment. And he, what I learned was, if you're not coachable, there is no cure. If you're not coachable, there is no cure. If you're listening to this and you want to be a professional speaker, well, are you surrounding yourself with people who are where you want to be? Because if you're surrounding yourself with other people at the same level, you're not going to grow. And I I remember listening to Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins in my car. I was a sponge at the beginning of my career when I was eager and knew that I didn't know. The challenge became when I got a little confidence, and then I thought I was, you know, I thought I was the thing. Uh, I was not the thing. And if you ever think you're the thing, you're sliding down. My my friend and mentor. Story.
0: Yeah, I can I can relate to your story so much because uh, in, in my own Toastmasters club, uh, you know, people people dread volunteering to give me feedback on my speeches for for similar reasons and uh, yeah it it does start making me think I feel like I'm at the top of the heap here Uh, and um, I'm actually I look back and I'm really grateful for that whole experience because what I came to start learning from you um, has already taken me to a much higher level than I even knew existed and mm-hmm. and, I, and also really reinforce the message that there's always somewhere to go
1: That there's always somewhere higher to, to move to and, and further down uh, in your development. Amen preach it brother my uh my one of my mentors his name is Mike Rayburn uh, he said the only way you can coast is downhill
0: right which is really good yeah there's a there's another you know, you, you have a, a lot of expressions that you use in your stuff and one of the ones that uh that it relates to the title of what you you talk about right uh, stage never turn down stage time and um yeah i remember there's a story you tell about uh, you you did like a stand-up comedy and stuff for a while right and so you had a, a coach and mentor in that in that world as well and and if i'm right that's what he used to say to you yeah
1: Yeah, we were. It was the story that I tell is about a year and a half into my comedy career. I was working really hard, and he had taught me stage time, never turn down stage time. His name was Vinny. And we're in the back of a comedy club, and I had been getting, you know, in five minutes, I could maybe get four or five little laughs. It wasn't much, but from where I started, it it was great progress. Now, I've been doing this a year and a half, driving to comedy clubs every weekend, whenever there was a place that I could go and sit and learn or go do it. I was taking classes. I was reading the books. And this guy goes up for his very first night. And I'm sitting in the back of the club next to my mentor, Vinny. And this guy goes up for his very first night, and he just crushes it. He is so funny. It's his first night. And I am thinking about it's his first night. I've been struggling for a year and a half. Ah, And I was just disgusted. And I turned to him and I said, you know, how do you know who's going to make it? Like, am I wasting my time is what I was saying. How do you know who's going to make it? And he said something brilliant. He said, that's easy. Whoever keeps going. Right. Whoever keeps going. That's simple. And then he said, Look, uh, you've been taking that stage time thing to heart. I like that. I see you working really hard. I'm going to give you five minutes of stage time wherever I play. Now, that was huge because mm-hmm. he is playing real comedy shows. I'm only doing open mic nights, amateur nights in the back of a bowling alley at a bar with six people in the audience. So this was like a real club with like, 200 people laughing, drinking, have a good time. That's awesome. But then he looked me dead in the eyes. He said, but if you ever, ever turn down stage time, I will never help you again. And that's when the switch in my head happened. And it, you know, I never looked at it. I lived in the fear that Vinny would find out, which was a great fear because it got me to do what I was afraid to do. It gave me courage. Yeah, at the time when fear is good.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. But it is that whole motivation now. Uh, it's a conversation I often often find myself having of the understanding that while some people do have a natural talent for for getting up on a stage or for being funny, um, it's nearly always the people who work hardest at it who will succeed. And and sometimes having the natural talent could be a disadvantage in the long run because you get to that thing of coasting thinking you don't have to work so hard and the people who are working working their butts off they're going to
1: overtake you Mm -hmm. exactly
0: so so i really i i love those principles and i've really taken them to heart and um that i I feel that um on my show i've had um a lot of professional comedians recently as well as some very humorous speakers too so it's been interesting to talk about humor in relation to presentations and public speaking uh, but it's great to talk to people like yourself who who kind of straddle both both those worlds what what do you see as being maybe the the differences or commonalities between stand up and and public speaking
1: well definitely courage definitely improv the ability to adapt one of the things that i teach speakers No matter what, take an improv class, because it's one of the core elements of presence. It's one of the core elements to adapt if this happens or that happens. And uh, for those of you who've never been in the theater world and you take an improv class, there are going to be some wacky exercises. And you're going to think, what does this have to do? Do it. Have fun. Do it. Play full out. Uh, Some people, many people, don't know this, John. But uh, before I wanted to be a comedian, I was actually dreaming of being an actor, and I actually started out in an improv wedding show before stand-up, or right have been right when I was starting. So I was in an improv wedding show. So I got married three times a week, and I was a shy. I would even call myself a, a hyper introvert. I just, that was part of the thing. I wanted to be on that stage, but I had no reason to be there. I was the quiet, shy kid. So improv gave me that permission to be other characters, to work it out, to find myself, to find my voice. So if you really want to own the stage, I would highly recommend taking an improv class.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's great, great advice. You now I've talked with a few of my guests before on the show about improv, and a few of them have specialized in that as well, and, and it certainly has a huge amount of value for anyone who's looking to do speaking. In In your experience, like how how important would you say that pers- uh, public speaking or uh, speaking from platform, virtual speaking these days is pr- for professional people?
1: Well, I think for any business owner or executive I just think it's the critical skill. It's the it factor, if you will, to have that ability to say something concisely and interesting. And I think one of the cores of that is storytelling, having that ability to tell a story, a client story. But it's not just here's facts that happen. It's telling in an emotional way that compels the audience to root for the character, to become a part of the story. So it's not just me telling the story. It's us working out the story together, me maybe speaking it, but you feeling it and being with us. There's a a great book, I I didn't write it, there's a great book that I recommend uh, called Building Your Story Brand by Donald Miller. And I highly recommend that for any business person, whether you want to be a speaker or not, whether you use speaking and presenting, but I just, it's the only audible. I'm an audible guy because I'm dyslexic. (laughs) Reading is painful to me. And if I really like a book, I'll listen to it a second time. This is a book I've listened to no exaggeration over 10 times. It's just brilliant and donald miller just has this way of taking business and connecting it to storytelling that i think every executive should at least understand even if you don't do it but if you're going to do it if you're going to present in any way it's our ability to tell that story have that lesson embedded in the story but telling it in an intriguing way the challenge is just like when we started off the podcast we were talking about ego Everyone thinks they're a good storyteller because they got a couple of stories that maybe their friends laugh at. Okay, but does a stranger get compelled uh, leaning in and listening and wanting to hear it? And then at the end, get that transformation and see how it's relevant to me or my business or my company and why I should learn more from you. Um, I, on my Right on my website, it says boring loses business. We've got to be interesting, especially with this, you know, worldwide challenge right now. If you don't stand out, you're out of business. And I have a one of my phrases is "old school" needs a little "new school," or you're going to be out of school.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Donald Miller's book has been one of my one of my favorite reads this year. I think that hmm. it was the first time I came across it, and much like yourself, I, I tend to prefer audio books. Mainly because I can get through them a lot quicker and you know, <laughs> <laughs> walking. Walk I'll, I'll listen on usually on double speed and uh, in the gym walking around, uh, driving in the car. I, I can have audio books on it and they're great. But uh, but again, like yourself, I'll also listen to good stuff. I will listen to two or three times, and and that is one of the ones I've already had two listens to. In fact, uh, at the moment, just today, I
1: started uh, marketing made simple. Ah, uh, a- yes, I have that. I have that in my uh, in my bedroom. That's yeah. the I've started it. I haven't finished it yet, but um, that's next on my agenda. I actually got the physical <laughs> copy of that one.
0: Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned storytelling because I think that was the first program of yours that I actually took on, on your online courses and and I got a lot from that. Like I thought, much like you said, I thought I was pretty good at telling stories. And, <laughs> and then and then I got like, oh, maybe I'm not so great at telling stories. I I can do okay telling, you know, relaying an adventure or telling a story to my friends and things like that. Yeah. But, but doing that from a stage or from even from a virtual platform is a very different. It's a very different thing altogether. And so what what do you think uh, for people who want to improve their storytelling are some of the key
1: elements you could share to help people maybe just listening today start improving their stories? Yeah, become a student of storytelling. If you're an executive, you know, take part of this year, become a student of storytelling. Uh, And here's a challenge for your listeners. Go to your best friends and ask them honestly, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a storyteller am I? Your best friends, who will be honest with you? And unless they're saying nine and 10, every person you ask, okay, there's room for improvement, but it's gonna affect your communication. And so for storytelling, I think one of the reasons, like you said, you could tell an adventure and it could be good and interesting to your friends, but an adventure is not gonna bring you business. It's that relevance. It's the transformation of the character. So you ask for a couple tips. One of them is that the character must be relatable to your potential client or customer or internal uh, coworker. Okay. If you're trying to get a point across, they must emotionally relate to the character at the beginning of the story. There needs to be a transformation in the middle. Like what was that revelation? Was it the system? Was it your business? Was it your customer service? And then la, on the other side, how has the character changed? So literally, you know, college storyboarding, what are, what are the five basic plot points? Again, Donald Miller's book is great. Uh, another great book by Kendra Hall stories that stick, put that on your list if you haven't uh, read that one yet, but that's another great one. And she talks about the three parts of a story, you know, the beginning, the explosion, and then the, uh, I don't remember the term she puts on it. So number one, understand the purpose of the story, get clear of the story. Another one that I've never really heard taught, but what's that foundational phrase we call it that is the lesson of the story in 10 words or fewer. That has rhythm, doesn't have to rhyme, but has rhythm to it that that person will take away. Uh, let's just say go back to their company or their other friends and who are also potential clients and retell that story. And even if they don't remember the story perfectly, they remember that line. You know, for me, you ask Toastmasters around the world, anywhere in the world, if anyone's ever heard of me, what's Darren about stage time, stage time, stage time? Cause that one core that I want them to get through is unless you get on stage, you know, my mentor said any day that you don't get on stage is a day that you don't grow. Yeah. Um, I do, we do weekly coaching calls in stage time university where we give people coaching feedback. We're two world-class coaches. Last night we had a call. We had three people who've been through my programs. And one of the biggest challenges is they tell their stories in narration. Narration is past tense. This happened back then. Okay. If it's past tense, if it's narration, we're not we're less emotionally connected to that story and in the now, reliving it with you. So, you need to tell it in the now and tell it in dialogue. Dialogue is the key to the power of storytelling, telling your stories in dialogue. When I first joined the championship uh, level speech contest, I thought I was pretty good at stories, I was very animated. <laughs> but not really saying anything and not as nearly as strategic as I wanted to. And I was struggling because I had a day job. And one of my other comedy mentors, his name was Dave. uh, Dave said, Darren, stop trying to find the stories that will launch your career. And instead, take the stories you already have and make them so good, someone will pay to hear them. And that was a revelation. I just thought, here's the story. Let me just tell it. And maybe I could make it a little tighter or something, but let me just tell it. And it's like, if you're missing the crucial elements. So I got what he was saying, but I ignored his advice for two years. Do not ignore this advice. <laughs> find a way, find a model, find somebody to follow. Donna Miller's book, one of my programs, whoever it is. Um, so in 2001, I joined the speech contest for one reason. And that one reason was to look at my keynote speech. Okay, I still had a day job. I was a telemarketer for Bose Corporation. That was my day job, my waiter job as I pursued my career. And uh sitting at my desk, I was marketing myself every waking moment. I wasn't working my day job. I was speaking every time I could for free or for a fee, whatever. The one thing I wasn't doing was working on my craft. And so Dave's advice rung through my head, he ended up passing away and just that, but that quote, make them so good, someone will pay to hear them. Well, for you listening to this, if you have a business, make your stories so good, it attracts more business Yeah, at it that way. And so the speech contest came around and I thought, well, if it's a competition, what I could do is pull one of my stories out of my keynote and give it a seven-minute Toastmaster open and close and work on it, work on it, work on it, with my whole goal to make that story better, to then put it back in my keynote speech in an improved format. And you probably, you know, Craig Valentine, he said, if you want a masterpiece, you have to master the pieces. And so I joined the contest not to win, but to improve the stories so I could improve the value of my keynote speech. And when I met Mark Brown that that moment, he looked at my speech and, you know, people ask, well, what did, what did he see? Well, he could see I was telling my stories in narration, past tense. And so, for example, one of the quote unquote moments or mini stories in my speech was going home to tell my parents I wanted to be a comedian. So in my version, version 1.0, handing it to Mark, it sounded like this. So I went home to tell my parents I wanted to be a comedian. They were speechless. They didn't know what to say. Eh, interesting. But then Mark had me turn it into dialogue, present tense, same story, same exact story. But instead, it sounded like, so I walked into the house nervous. I walked up to my parents. Mom, Dad, I want to be a comedian. I was met by silence ouch, and so it's much more especially in the context of the speech. Obviously, we're out of context, but it's much more engaging and intriguing when it's dialogue, when we feel my energy and excitement. I finally figured out my dream, what I want to do with my life, and then my parents don't say anything because I was the quiet, shy kid. So, the conflict is also much more apparent in the story, and great stories have great conflict. I mean, every movie is based on conflict. What's between the main hero, the character, and and their goal—a conflict—that's what makes it. Ooh, how are they going to do it yeah. anyway?
0: No, no, I, I'm definitely going to put a, a link to your to your winning speech in the show notes because I think everyone should go and check it out it's a great speech it's really funny uh i watched it many many times uh, partly because one of your programs uh analyzes it takes it apart as well uh and really sort of shows how you built it and uh um why some bits of it worked and how like some bits of it before that you had to work on and, and improve so it's well worth checking that out to see how how you go about creating a masterpiece just just for that do you ever get people in your own sort of coaching or or workshops who's sort of having the the dialogue more like and again i was like and he was like and then she was like do you do you come across that much because i i have a few times it's it's interesting
1: (laughs) yeah the like is is very unprofessional in fact i get called out on it um myself and when I go through my own podcast I have to edit out all the likes or as many as possible just to make it like less like 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 yeah the other one of my other pet peeves is you guys you guys you guys okay you know John one of the principles we teach is speak like you're talking to one person Mm -hmm. speak to one look to all meaning the language of a one-on-one conversation how would you say it to someone over coffee How would you say it to someone? You would never be with one person having coffee and saying, you guys – like, that would be weird. Like, what are you talking about? So I think uh, it's that connection. Again, if you're a business uh, professional, an entrepreneur running a business, your communication is the it factor. It's the everything. It's behind what you know and getting that across to other people who may not have the same thought process or the same perspective that you do. So I think it's critical, critical in business.
0: Yeah. Well, one of uh, pieces of advice I think I came across it the first time from from you that really just made so much sense and has continued to, and I have heard it from from more people since as well. Is about making sure that what you are presenting is a conversation that mm. you are actually. Um, you know, carrying on to that like having that one-to-one conversation but you are also giving time for people to respond to have the kind of responses that they would have if you were sat down having a coffee with them but obviously hopefully they're not having <laughs> talking back to you whilst you're giving a presentation but you still need to give them some time for their brain to process
1: and to have, as if you were yeah, the I always say I always ask when I'm doing webinars and things, what's the most important part of a presentation? And some people say the opening, the message, the audience, the closing, your call to action, and they're all important. But you just nailed it. The most important part of a uh, the most important part of a presentation is the thought process in the listener's mind. It's not your opening. It's how your opening affects our thoughts. It's not your message. It's how our, your message affects our thoughts. And so like you're saying, a lot of people, uh, we need to be conversational, but we're having a conversation with that little voice in their head. And that is critical. That little voice in their head. If we don't take time to pause and let them think, we're shutting off that little voice in their head, which is rude, which we would never do in a one-on-one conversation. Well, some people do, but we'd never step on someone's thoughts, I call it, because it's rude. Well, if we want a connection, we can't connect without them thinking about what we say. So like you're saying, we've got to let them absorb that to go with us on that journey and feel connected to us. So understanding not just what we say, but how they process what we say. So coming back around to the storytelling stuff,
0: the, mm-hmm. uh, I was fortunate enough, I, I don't know if you've, you've heard of this guy, but I was fortunate, fortunate enough to have as a guest someone who, uh, when I carried on my story learning about storytelling journey from what I learned from you, um, I found a book called Storyworthy by a guy called Matthew Dix. If, if you mm-hmm. haven't come across him, I highly recommend check, checking it out. He is a uh, multiple winner of the uh, Moth Story Slam, the, uh, okay. he's, he's won it like 38 times and he's won the Grand uh, like six times he is an incredible storyteller and one of the things that I really took away from that relates a lot to what you're saying about it. It doesn't have to be the most amazing or, or uh, you know, world-winning world story um, some of his most powerful stories are just mundane life events that have had a moment of transformation or realization in them and um, that those are often those are the ones he prefers because those are the ones that people can relate to you're far better off rather than telling your amazing adventure of where you were scuba diving and you came face to face with a shark or something like that, instead telling a story that m- most people probably haven't done that experience. So, but sitting around the, the breakfast table having a conversation or folding the laundry or something happens, you know, those kinds of moments people can relate to because the more common experiences, or at least if, if they can't relate directly to it, they can say, "Well, no, that's something that's quite reasonable and quite likely to happen to anybody." Um, but that's where that's where storytelling can be really powerful. Uh, and so, and that's why I come back to that because it just relates so much to what you're saying about don't go for like the the top award-winning story that's going to change your you change your career or anything like that. Just go for telling amazing stories because the stories that someone like that someone like Matthew tells. Uh, just captivating and some of them are seriously just, uh, just about about his daily life as one just about walking his dog in the rain and like that. things that you don't wouldn't necessarily think that's going to be an interesting or exciting story but you will get you will get something from that and and you get pulled in to to the story and the conversation i think that's a really important part of it is the being
1: pulled into the story absolutely and a lot of times very simple personal stories can make very powerful business points
0: it's uh, it's been interesting for me to see how in the world of business storytelling has become such a, a huge thing I, I know i i've already been doing work myself with some people in helping them with their uh with their business stories as well with their own presentation and and business stories and. Why do you think it has become such a big thing in the world of business now?
1: Well, partially, I I just think it's like, it's time. Um, You know, everything comes and goes in waves. And I think we're riding the story wave. uh, And next year, two years from now, it might still be used, but not the top thing everyone's talking, excuse me, not the top thing that everyone is talking about. So I just think it's just, The hot topic, but I just think it's so relevant. That's why the wave is long. And I think it'll never go away. Something else might, you know, come top of mind and news, some new technique or uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, You know, obviously those are high tech things, but I think the basis of storytelling, you know, goes back to the basis of language. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just prominent now, uh, I think it will always be relevant. I just think it's more prominent now, especially like Donald Miller's book, uh, Kendra Hall's book. A lot of these books that are coming out, well, they're bestsellers, well, there's a lot of, you know, advertising and things behind it. The books are so good, it gets people to rethink. And then as a result of applying these things, people get great success. Well, then people are talking about that success to their other uh co-workers or co-founders or other friendly entrepreneurs that we have in our life. So we're telling our story and then goes back. So I just think, you know, when a great teacher is there and there's several out there now, um, it just, it's going to perpetuate. So I just think it's relevant to the bottom line and it's simple rather than, you know, it's easier to write a great story than it is to write compelling copy. Yeah. Well, a great story is compelling copy. So I think it's also, it's more a simpler form. And I think because long copy had its day, you know, 10, 20 years ago, now we, people want simpler, shorter, faster, and a story can fit in that.
0: Yeah. And and, and it's a, a very powerful teaching tool as well. I mean, we've, we've used oh, stories forever
1: to teach. Yep. Uh, whether you're religious or not, Jesus, you know, was one of the greatest salesmen, they called him, because, you know, what did he do? He taught simple things in parables, you know, and complex things in parables in a simple format. Why? So he could understand it. So if somebody doesn't understand how you can help them in business, they're not going to do business with you. So I just think it's a natural for business.
0: Yeah. What what other aspects do you think are presentation and, and public speaking are are important?
1: I think delivery and confidence. You know, we, we do business with people we like. But if they don't have that confidence, we don't think they believe in their own product or what they're doing. So that comes through. So I think delivery, whether it's live or online, uh, you can hear it in somebody's voice, their energy and their enthusiasm, their passion, their, their love of their company, their business or what they do. So I think that enthusiasm is kind of the underlying second it factor, if you will. Uh, it just gets that point across that, look, I love what I do. Hey, you can do business with me or not, but I love, and I want to work with people who love what they do. Who doesn't? You know, I hired a, a, a Facebook ad agency and they were they were awesome. I enjoyed working with them. They were fun. They knew their stuff. And then I started working uh, with somebody else and it was a whole different experience because their passion, their enthusiasm, they were saying the right things, but they weren't saying it with good intention. They weren't saying it with that helpful intention. So I think that is one of the underlying keys is let us feel your intention. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, now you are uh, part of a very exclusive group uh, in the Toastmasters world of uh, accredited speakers. Mm-hmm. What What does it mean to be an accredited
1: speaker? Well, I'm part of two speaking organizations, both of them since 1994 NSA, the National Speakers Association. Otherwhere in the world, it might be called professional PSA, but, uh, and Toastmasters. And both of them have professional speaking designations. So I'm actually the only, uh, speaker right now at the moment of this recording that is an accredited speaker, a certified speaking professional, and a world champion. But honestly, they're letters after my name, but I'm a huge fan of the, the philosophy of Jim Rohn. If you don't know Jim Rohn, look him up. He was Tony Robbins's mentor. Brilliant man. And he said, make it a goal to become a millionaire, not for the money, but for the person it makes you. So even though as a professional speaker, being a Toastmaster, I was challenged to go for the accredited speaker. So the accredited speaker is uh you're being accredited by the Toastmasters organization that you are a professional. That there's, uh, you have to have a list of business clients, past clients that you've spoken for. They have to fill out an application and a survey. You have to then perform a uh, part of your speech or 20 minutes of your speech in front of a live audience, this year virtual audience, uh, in order to quote unquote become accredited. So you got to prove your value that you're worth. And so I did it. I dove into the process thinking of what Jim Rohn said and no one's hired me because of the letters after my name. Let me tell you, when you go through the program, it sharpens your, you know, you sharpen your craft, you sharpen your business. And I actually got business just by reaching back out to my old clients, asking them to fill out that survey. Duh, (laughs) I should be reaching out to my old clients anyway. So it's an accredited speaker means you're a professional speaker designated by Toastmasters. So it's a process we go through. But again, no one's hired me because of the letters after my name. No one's hired me because of that trophy back there. But because I went for them, it sharpened my craft. And as a result, the speaker I became, that's why they want me. Because I have the ability to communicate my message uh, from a stage, live or virtually. Uh, and so don't go for the letters after your name, go for who it helps you create, who you become.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Great. I, I really like that. I have come across Jim Rohn before though. I haven't listened to any of his stuff for, for quite a few wow. years, but uh, wow. definitely he is an incredible guy. And I think I even just the other day found a, a recording of him. I think originally I was like listening to him and Zig Ziglar before, you know, before some of the the guys who can't have both of them, really good stuff around sales yeah. and development and stuff. Um, in terms of like, for some of the people who are watching, listening may be looking or on a path of wanting to get paid for their speaking. And there's a big difference between just getting on a stage and speaking or going to a Toastmasters club and actually getting paid to it. Is, is there any advice you can give for anyone who's looking to make that transition to getting
1: paid to speak? Yeah. Just like we said right at the beginning, go to people who are where you want to be and be a sponge you know, find the people who are the great teachers. Yes, I teach it, but I'm not the only one. You know, I, you can check out public speaking, business.com public speaking, business.com where I have all the programs I've ever created. One of them trademark get paid to speak by next week. And I took all my programs. I used to sell CDs and DVDs and put them online. So people can access them that way. Uh, and we have two mentoring calls every month with me and my marketing mentor but truly you've got to figure out what's your message who's your audience and how do they know about you like sometimes if you've ever seen a paid speaker before and you thought huh i'm better than that person you might be a a billion percent right here's the challenge when the meeting planner was making the decision they looked at their budget, they looked at their time frame, and this person was the best opportunity for them to help their audience. So if they knew about that person and they didn't know and they don't know about you, it doesn't matter how good you are if they're not aware. So step one is awareness. You know, social media, eh, yeah, there's some people who are killing it on social media. That's the exception. For most of us, we've got to get clear on our message Get clear on who needs that. So what problem do we solve? Who needs that problem solved? And how do we get in front of them? Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, Alan Weiss, one of my business mentors, says, you don't need 5,000 people to you know, come to you and be aware of you. You need the right 500. And so I think it's a process. And it's not easy. If it's a dream that you want to do it <laughs> quickly, um, it's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> unless you 're on a reality TV show, uh, you go to the moon on SpaceX or something like that uh, it's you can climb Mount everest well there's already fifty speakers on climbing Mount Everest so how are you going to separate yourself so I think it's how are you different who's your what 's your message who needs that message and is willing to pay for it uh, that is critical and you know that 's what we help people do and help people like clean up their websites and make them more compelling so that when they get traffic, they're more go- more likely to convert that. So you've got to realize it's, you've got to want to do it, realize it may take some time and just love the struggle along the way or find another job, find another passion or another hobby. And I'm not saying that to be mean because if I can talk you out of it, you don't have the gumption to stick with it. If I can't talk you out of it, you have a chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Um, in terms of this year, and I know you've done a lot of live workshops in the past and, and a lot of live speaking events, and this year has maybe changed a lot of that. Uh, what sort of changes have, have and pivots and shifts have you been making for yourself in your own business?
1: Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough that I had been doing hybrid events, so I have my online university, but I love live. I love training. I'm more of a trainer than a keynote speaker. I do both, but you know, in one hour, I can rock your world. But I can only say so much. But if you give me two days, I can transform you. So my passion is more for the, I started out wanting to get the ha-ha's. Now I want to give the ah-ha's. And so my business before, for five years, we've been doing live events, but we have virtual seats. So I'm very fortunate and actually wasn't going, it was going, we would always have a few people and it allowed me to sell a few more seats. But it really wasn't killing it. And I was even considering letting go of the virtual. And then, of course, when this happened, you know, it was like a switch. So I was already set up for it. But as you and I were talking earlier, I've been so adamant that I've got to upgrade my business. So my background, my lighting, the sign, the... Uh, the Oralex on the side over here to for sound deadening because I realized uh, this is my this is now my stage there's 10 feet behind me that's it that's all I've got to upgrade so I've been uh, each week I've been putting out Facebook videos on here's what I'm doing this week here's what I'm doing this week so this is the culmination of many months work and one little thing after another but I realized that immediately that Look, I who knew it was going to last this long. But at the beginning, I knew I needed to start upgrading my studio my home studio experience. So, uh my v- events now are 100% virtual, but uh and then I made I created a new um a new 2-day event because of the new need which is mastering virtual presentations. So mastering virtual presentations, I realized was critical. The people who I taught needed it because they had to transfer over. And so immediately within two weeks, because I love teaching, to me, it's like a puzzle. It's like putting together a puzzle without the picture to go by when I put together a new program. And I realized... We've been doing the hybrid events for years. Okay, what do we do? What are the mistakes we made? And let me help other people get up and going quickly. So I do that with Mark Brown and my fellow uh, world champion, Ed Tate. Uh, so we've got one coming up in November. But anyway, we love what we do. So it was kind of an easy pivot. But I knew I, ha- if I'm going to teach virtual presentations, I better have the best lighting, the best camera, the best background. Because now it, I was being judged on that. And I think a lot of professional speakers don't realize that, you know, if we can't hear you, we can't see you. Uh, I'll forgive the video if it's not perfect. But if I can't hear you, I won't forgive that as a listener. So I realized the criticalness. And then we teach this thing called pace elements that you've got to change every three or four minutes A pace element. How do you keep somebody engaged for all day events? Because that's what we do. Well, people you know, say, wow, we can't believe it flew by because we keep them engaged. So I think Focusing on engagement because the rules have changed. You know, it would be great if we knew someone was sitting down watching in uh, in their home or their office and there was no distractions. They were in a white room. There was no phone. There was nothing else around. That would be awesome and easy to keep their attention or easier. But the truth is there's the cat, the dog, the People have to go to the bathroom, uh, notifications going off, text. Oh, I forgot I had this meeting. And so we're competing with that. So what we teach people, it would be great to get rid of those distractions. That's impossible. So what we need to do is be more adamant to draw people in and make the content more directly relevant to their life right now, but constantly keep that happening, constant engagement. So yeah, we teach about 20 different pace elements that you can use that we use all the time, but we teach people what they are and how to use them. So I've pivoted the business going over to virtual. It'd be great to go live someday. But the cool thing is the upside, if you will, for us is that now people, and when I say us, I mean, anyone who's a, who's an expert in the world right now is that even my grand, my my parents who have been married this week for sixty five years, uh, you know they're in their upper eighties. They're on Zoom. You know they're on a virtual platform. They would have never been able to do that. So so many people are now much more comfortable getting online. They realize the convenience, the power of it. So now the world has been trained. Whatever format, whether it's Zoom or uh, WebEx or Teams or whatever it is. But now we're more comfortable with this because we've spent so much, you know, camera time, camera time, camera time. Okay, so now that just made our market as professional speakers and experts bigger. There's more people who can and want to access us this way if we can help them solve their problem. Yeah. I run a lot of online
0: events, so I'm definitely gonna come and check out your your program because that's one that I, I think I haven't seen before. So
1: You haven't. We're waiting for you, John. I'm get back in there. You. you know, I, I loved
0: uh when I when I joined Stage Time University, which I think might have been a couple of years ago now. Um uh that uh one of the first things that made me think oh this was a this was a really good decision was a little personalized video from you to say hi and welcome it's like oh that's really cool i don't think i've ever got that from a program before in all my life uh, and then i got my little membership card and, and welcome pack three from you it's really cool so i i felt like you know really come to something where it's like all right, i think i'm going to be looked after here
1: mm. Well, one of the keys to storytelling and one of the reasons I do those personal videos, and as soon as we're done here, we had uh, someone sign up yesterday. I do that is the value of like with an on on uh, online university is onboarding, bringing people in and help them realize, hey, this person cares. Again, going back to what we talked about earlier is intention. But one of the key storytelling factors, the most brilliant thing I ever learned was from a man named Michael Haig. Um, Michael Haig works for Will Smith. Will Smith runs movie scripts by Michael Haig before they release movies. He's brilliant. But here is the wisdom from Michael Haig. He said, the purpose or the goal of any story is to elicit emotion. The goal of any story is to elicit emotion. If you don't elicit emotion, they're never going to remember it. So just like you said, with that video, it kind of struck you and it pulled you in a little closer. Well, I realized when I started testing that out, that very effect is that I was eliciting emotion and connecting more quickly with the people who are joining stage time. And That's important to me. That's important to my business. So here, and if you're listening to this, the video service that I love that I use is called BombBomb, B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B. And it's video email. I learned about it from my mentors, Ford Sakes and Patricia Fripp but it works and it helps me engage through email rather than just sending a typing an email. And again, like I said, because I'm dyslexic, I'm a lot better uh, doing a two minute video. I don't have to worry about typos, but now you not only hear me, you feel me and you feel my intention. So the purpose of that was to elicit emotion. So you spend some more time with us. Great
0: you've uh, you've also got into the world of podcasting yourself what what made you want to start your own podcast
1: uh i realized you know when i i have a newsletter beasponge.com you can check it out and you get my top 10 speaking mistakes and my top 10 virtual mistakes if you just go to beasponge.com it's free i send out a weekly newsletter but right away you get those two pdfs after decades of coaching here's what i've learned here's the highlights but in terms of um, why I did the podcast is the newsletter has been uh, the opens has been slowly dwindling. you know I still have my core people, I have ten thousand people on my list, and I still write articles because it's good, it's helping me write books, et cetera. what I realized is so many people were spending more time on podcasts. It was like TV's going way down and podcasts is going way up. So here you have all these people who like podcasts the format of listening, you know, while they're driving, while they're on the train, while they're on the bus, while they're exercising. So that's how they're quote unquote sponging. Well, if you have all these people who are already like that format, all I'm doing is taking my content and putting it in front of that river of people who want to absorb that way. So I realized I was really missing out. So it's basically a way for me to give content just like this podcast. Give content. And if you really like me and you want to learn more, you'll go check out Stage Time University. But if not, I'm going to help you. You're going to like me. Maybe you're going to tell other people about me. So it's, again, the intention and giving. And honestly, Mark Brown, my co-host, my coach, one of my best friends in the world, it's fun when you can have marketing That's helping build your business and helping people along the way. That's fun. We just crack each other up. We have so much fun. So it seemed like a natural format. So for me, it was when I saw the numbers of podcasting and how many people are spending how many hours every week on podcasts. So it was kind of a no brainer once I saw the facts and then I realized it's marketing. It's more fun. I have more fun doing that. Boom. Just like this in an hour. Than sitting down to write an article that can take me several hours. It's just right. more
0: fun. Uh, my, this started. This podcast started as a Toastmasters project. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, in in my Toastmasters pathways, it was one of the options. I thought I'd been thinking about doing it anyway, and uh, but over over the time that I've been doing it, I, I just really enjoy it. Like my yeah. first episode, my first episode was with one of my Toastmasters buddies, and and we got that, and then just started getting guests in, and it's become just a really fun thing. It's taken on a bit more of a life of its own, and 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 I get to have really cool conversations with people like you, and it's like, absolutely, why would yeah. I not want to do this? <laughs> this is really good.
1: It opens the door. So last week at uh, last year at the Toastmasters International Convention, their to gold- Golden gavel winner was a man named Ja Jang. And he is like unbelievable. Like his YouTube channel, his videos, his he helps people deal with rejection. Anyway, we got to sit down and interview this guy because we just met him at Toastmasters and had a conversation with him. So it's allowing us, just like you're saying, to have to meet people who I maybe never would have met before. So ours is called Unforgettable Presentations. And that's me and Mark unforgettable presentation Almost as
0: if you were prepared for that there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm a marketer. I'm prepared for everything. But uh, anyway, it's it's just like you. I'm delighted, John. You're having fun. You have great insight and uh, uh, a great heart and great attitude. And I think that's part of the what makes a good podcast.
0: I hope so. I hope so. This year's Golden Gavel winner was a friend of mine, Julian Treasure, and uh, so I'm hoping hoping to get him on uh, the show sometime soon as well. Um, when it comes to competition, I, actually, an email from you today because I'm on your mailing list, and uh, and, and you're talking about the uh, critiques of the um, of the 2020 World Championship of, of Public Speaking. Um, what uh, I mean, it's all virtual this year, so. What difference do you think, as someone who is very involved in this world, what difference do you feel that that's really made for uh, public speaking competitions?
1: Hmm. Well, it's definitely a challenge. A lot of, and I'm sure there are a lot of technical issues along the way, and I don't even want to know about them, but I'm sure, and I'm impressed by Toastmasters, how they made it work. You know, there here's an organization with 350,000 people around the world as members, all different cultures. And, oh, by the way, you can't do a live event. We're supposed to be in Paris this year. So to be able to switch over, I can't imagine some of the frustration, but uh, I think it forced people to learn this format again, going back. Why? You know, if we're virtual, guess what? It's also a blessing for us as experts, because now we can reach people we've never reached before. Toastmaster clubs who, you know, I live in Las Vegas, who maybe there's 10 people come. Now we might have 40 people and two of them are from the Middle East and three of them are from Asia, which that was never would never happen. So I think there's a lot of positive that came out of this very negative situation. But as far as a contest, I think realizing uh, the communication mode has changed. So learning the new rules, and the winner, Mike Carr, we interviewed him for our podcast. The woman who came in second had a really powerful speech. We're interviewing her tomorrow for our podcast. But the challenges that they had to go through uh, in the unknown. So it's that bobbing and weaving. Again, it goes back to improv. Improv having that ability when people say, oh, you can't do that. And like, you're going to argue with the contest, you will lose. It's their contest. So I think a lot of people uh, were frustrated and upset. And I think a lot of people who were able to improvise, uh, they are the ones who came out on top. They, uh, We coached somebody who was in the finals. She didn't place, but she did an amazing job. Her name is Maureen Zapala. It was great. What a powerful speech. So now it's just Forcing us to learn a new modality and then the use of screen. You know, we talk about the use of stage. Mike Carr started like in the bottom, in the bottom, very bottom corner, but he used the medium to get his message across very effectively. At one point, he was talking about the projector from middle school and he, you know, he does this. And I I went back to my experience with those old projectors. The younger people have no idea what we're talking about, but anyway it was how do you use this new medium to get your message across and so i think that's one of the biggest lessons learned which we all have to learn you know this through this craziness yeah i don't know if i answered your question or not but
0: <laughs> no i uh, absolutely you did and uh, and uh, i'll put i'll pop a link to to mike's speech because i really enjoyed it as well i'll pop that in the uh, link as well so they can uh, compare the difference of watching someone who like yourself, who won a speech on the, on the stage to someone who, who won the competition um, on the, on video on screen. Um, when it comes to being in competitions and not like, competitive public speaking, can, do you think it's possible to get to that kind of level without coaching or do you think it's absolutely critical?
1: There'll always be that anomaly in any area that, you know, somebody comes up without coaching But for 98% of us, uh, especially the ones who get some confidence, uh, I like what Craig Valentine says. He says, don't let the good get in the way of the great. And I think that's why we need a coach, that person that we trust that can hold up a mirror and say, yeah, but that's not coming across to the audience. You might say it, you might mean it, you might know exactly what you're trying to get across. So I think you need a qualified coach, not just any coach. And I think there's many different coaches out there. We did a podcast episode on exactly how to choose the right coach for you. And I've had many different coaches who have different skill sets. I've worked with Michael Haig on one story that I've been telling for years and it works and it gets a big laugh and he helped me make it better. So I think the power, I mean, think about an athlete, a high school athlete. What's the difference between a high school athlete and an Olympic athlete? Well, their training and their coaching and how hard they work. And so you can't be a high school athlete, dream of being in the Olympics without trying to understand the process. And so I think having the right coach is critical, having multiple coaches. I had two in the world championship, but that doesn't even count the people that I learned from before that. And then the other coaches like Craig Valentine, I learned so much from Craig Valentine after I won the championship. Then Donald Miller, like learning from his book, uh, Michael Hague. So I don't think we're ever done if we truly want to be world-class. So that's why our podcast is Unforgettable Presentations. Because there's many podcasts out there. I'm like, what are we going to focus on? So we try to uncover the stories and the strategies that make something unforgettable. Because truly, that's where difference happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I already subscribed to your podcast. And I'll make sure there's a link to it in the show notes so other people can go and check it out. I think it's uh, it's great and well worth tuning into. Um, So I really appreciate the the time you spent with us today. And I don't want to hog your time, although I'd happily... I'll spend as long as i can talking to you but um but i do for for the sake of audience who do want to come and find out more of us i know you've already shared the links but just as a reminder what are the best places for people who are watching or listening to come and find out more about
1: about you and come and learn from you uh, thanks thanks for asking well my main website is darrenlacroix.com, d-a-r-r-e-n-l-a-c-r-o-i-x uh, if you're interested in the top 10 speaking mistakes and virtual mistakes, check out BeASponge.com, BeASponge.com. Uh, you can, if you're into virtual presentations, better virtual presentations. Well, if you go to my main website, it's got all of the links, but uh, check out the podcast as well, as you mentioned. So DarrenLaCroix.com, BeASponge.com, and I got a lot of freebies out there and a lot of free trainings, but... Uh, And I show you there's a whole other world, just like I learned from my coach, Mark Brown. Oh, Darren, we have some work to do.
0: (laughs) I I, I highly recommend your courses and programs. Every single one I've done was really great value, and especially for anyone who um, like is going to get paid to speak or uh, has to work or or wants to work on a keynote speech. Like your program with Patricia Freep on keynote speaking is really, really good and very, really comprehensive. I mean, it'll take you like. Hold, hold your hand from start to finish. It was uh, uh, a real pleasure to, to work through that. Um, Thank you. Are, are there any closing thoughts or like a call to action or a message that you'd like to leave
1: people with? Yeah, you're going to make mistakes when you stretch yourself. You're going to bomb. What? Yeah, I when I bombed, you, and I talk about it in my championship speech, I bombed, I called my mentor. It was so painful. It was a prof- like one of my first professional presentations. I called my mentor, Rick, I said, I bombed, I died, they hated me, and he said, so? And it's like, how do you argue it's so? And I didn't realize everybody bombs. That's part of the learning process, so don't let that stop you. Become a student of storytelling. Find the right mentors, the teachers that work for you. I don't care who you do it. I love what I do, but I'm not the only one. But you need to make that individual choice. Choose to be world class at storytelling. Um, I remind you of the challenge ask 10 of your friends, 10 of your friends who will be honest with you, and see what they really say, and take it as a wake up call. Uh, look they might love you but do people who don't know you or don't know your business are they compelled to want to follow you and no matter what stage time stage time stage time absolutely yeah well i'm gonna i'm
0: gonna try that challenge i'm a bit scared but i'm gonna try it
1: <laughs> and see if, I'm, see if i'm'm anything
0: like as good a storyteller as, as i as I wish i, I hope i am uh darren is it's been a real joy to speak to you today. you've been a wonderful guest and, and i I know that you're one of the for for me you're one of the best teachers out there i've I've learned so much amazing stuff but like if you're looking to elevate your speaking to a to a higher level i uh, think you are the person people should come and check out and I've recommended your courses and programs to many people already and will continue to do so. Thank you for coming and being so generous with your time and your knowledge today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Whilst you're here, why not grab your free copy of my new ebook, The Five Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers from my website. That's at presentinfluence.com. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that through the website or shoot me an email, john at presentinfluence.com, or come and connect with me on social media. LinkedIn is where I hang out the most, but I'm available on Twitter and Facebook as as well. If you would like to find out more about courses and programs with me, please do shoot me an email. If you're interested in having me come and train or speak for your company or organization, then again, just shoot me an email or connect with me on social media. I'd love to chat with you. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you think you know someone who would make a great guest, again, just drop me a line. Let's have a chat. We'll set something up. I would love to see you again soon. So have a great week, everybody. See you next week for more great content from Speaking of Influence.